0: This is Joy Gilfill and host of I Change Justice, where members of the restorative community coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects and consequences on their family, friends and taxpayers. Listeners discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences discussed for taxpayer education and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice podcast. And with me is one of our other hosts, Sinead Kelts, who's been working with us over the past 13 years in the Restorative Community Coalition at various levels. And she has been also a host of the I Change Justice podcast. We're completing our first season, full year of recordings and uh, podcast conversations. And she's going to be taking over a lot of the podcast hosting for season two. Why? Because she's a specialist in working with people with lived experience on mentoring, case management, and working with people to help them recover their lives in the aftermath of being involved in the criminal legal system. So welcome to the call, Sinead. Let's talk about what it was like working with us intensely this last year to produce the I Change Justice podcast, and what you're seeing we're going to be talking about in season two.
1: Hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. Well, I am very excited about what's coming up. I'm also very grateful about who we've been able to interview and what's been broadcast out there to the masses. Um, It's very uh, fulfilling, I guess is a good word to know what we've done and what we hope for and where we're going.
0: So what's fun about it is that we've been able to interview all kinds of different people, people that are working in the system, people who have gone through the system, people who have been um, actually working inside the prison system. And all of these conversations have provoked a whole different awareness of what the law and justice system is about, what the jail and justice system is about, and the, the amount of trauma that people experience working within the system as an employee or working within the system, living within the system as an inmate. And then you've done several different episodes with us. You also helped us host the Community Conversations, the Community Regeneration Conversation, and you've talked about the Restore Life Center and your passion to work with people who have lived experience to help them reclaim lives, because you've been dealing with a lot of family issues. Talk about, if you would, how this whole experience of working with the RCC has made a difference to you and why... You're excited about the 16th anniversary celebration that we got coming up on December 28th. So can you speak to that?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have learned in my personal journey in recovery is for me, the more I stay connected to people like me and the more I reach out to help other people that are like me and lived experiences similar to mine, the stronger my recovery gets. And the longer I have sober, the the more mental clarity I have, spiritual clarity, all those things that we all seek as humans, we can get that through each other. Uh, Why I'm so excited about the Restore Life Center, you know, I have my own father has been homeless for Oh, he was homeless in Seattle in what they call the jungle down there for 17 years. And, you know, he has an apartment now. He has a housing program. He's doing the methadone program down in King County. But you know what he does every day? I asked him, I said, what do you do now, dad? Well, I just go do fly my sign. Fly your sign. That means he goes to the same corner he's been on for the last 17 years, holds a sign saying he's in need. And who knows how much money he makes, but with the Restore Life Center, it gives people alternative options to that that same routine. I mean, people like myself who were, you know, houseless, we have this routine on a daily basis. It's a survival thing. You know, where are you going to where are you going to eat? If you are going to shower, where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? You just, you start building this whole thing. And and in your mind, it's the healthiest choices in the moment because you're just in survival mode. So, you, you know, I've learned working with clients and also now watching my own father that you can't just change behaviors by giving someone housing. You right. know, we, I mean, that's obvious. We've all seen it. And so, I would like to see the Restore Life Center come to fruition, in which case we have programming on campus that helps teach people how to step outside their routine, right? How can we get uncomfortable just enough to make some changes? And also with the Restore Life Center, because it has a mentorship programming built into it, the people who are, are recovering from being houseless or a mental health crisis or maybe drugs and alcohol, they have like-minded people who are built into the uh, facility so that we have that ability to have empathy. We have the ability to call somebody on their crap when we know they're just BSing, you know, um, and, and it's all out of love. And I'm just really hopeful that, our program and this facility can not only bless Whatcom County, but it could be something that's transferable among communities all over the nation and maybe even the world.
0: Yeah. Um, It's a building a duplicatable system that's based on not just, I mean, when we started working on this project, over a decade ago, and we started to look at how do we create a Restore Life Center. It was focused on housing first. It was focused on substance use. It was focused on recovery. It was focused on these things. But over the past 16 years, the Restorative Community Coalition leaders, and specifically Irene Morgan and myself, Diane, or uh, Debbie, David, and yourself and others who have been working with us, there's hundreds of people who have contributed to the education of understanding what's going on with civic trauma. What is it that we can do with restorative justice? What is it that we can do with regenerative economics? What is it that we can do to help our entire community deal with the traumatic side effects of mass incarceration and the domination systems and the legal criminal systems and all these different systems they've created like this bottleneck and this chaos platform where all of us are being held hostage to punishment systems that are not really working. So the whole point of being able to create a civic uh, platform for where we can come in and work on justice reform issues, restorative justice reform for people whose family members get caught in the criminal legal system, they get arrested, families get Actually, families get traumatized. And then what can we do to help people who are dealing with the economic after effects? Because what happens when you get arrested that you and I have talked about several times is that when a person gets arrested for something, a misfortune or for a mistake or for an addiction or drug abuse problems, once they get arrested, their entire family actually goes into this this arrested state of development because the whole family gets traumatized, families get investigated, all these side effects happen. And all of that costs taxpayers money, whether it's directly or secondarily or, you know, and lost wages and lost potential, all this other stuff. So with a Restore a Life Center, I know that on one of our past conversations, you talked a lot about, how we can help with direct services, those people who have actually been arrested. And one of the things we're going to look at with season two is how can we actually bring on some people? And I know Shanae, you're going to work with a fellow by the name of John uh, Fitzpatrick, who we interviewed recently on a, on a, on a episode is that he's going to be talking about mentoring and how do we develop a mentor, the mentor program. So, If you could speak to that, Sinead, it would be really awesome.
1: Yeah, I know from my own experiences that it's important to have mentors who haven't necessarily physically walked through the traumas that we've been through because it gives us a new perspective on how to function in a world that we don't really know anything about, i.e. Um, figuring out how to do finance or figuring out um, how to plan for your retirement. Um, you know, having John be a partner with I Change Justice is going to add such a different light. And that's what's important, I think, for people to understand about restorative justice is it affects everyone. It's not Um, specific to one economic class or race or education level. It affects everyone. So I am really excited to um, not only get to know John a little bit more, but also to hear his feedback and his experiences throughout this whole process.
0: Yes, what John's done is he came in with a background of having been in prison for a long time. And he came in and uh, he's worked in the jail industries as as a male firefighter and those kinds of things. But he then came out and has gotten his training in substance abuse treatment and in homeless sheltering and programs like that. So he's willing to bring his wisdom forward to help mentor other people who we're starting to recruit into the Restorative Community Coalition so that we have an array of local people working to help us with case interception, case intervention, substance use uh, issues, civic trauma, family reconciliation issues. So all of us together can create a community because in the aftermath of COVID, what we've discovered is that people everywhere have been traumatized by the failure of our civic systems to be able to adapt to the needs of real people going through the COVID uh, crisis. So the trauma that we've dealt with, it, it has affected us at the street level. It's affected us in our families. I mean, we've been dealing with grief and loss and isolation and economic trauma that's affected us all this last three years. I mean, it's, it's, it's pervaded our entire community. So his ability to come in and talk about what he was doing during this period of time to help people who are coming out homeless, your ability to talk about your commercial experience the last three years as a case navigator and working in the commercial world. We are going to bring a whole array of knowledge to the table and working with Irene, who's been dealing inside the system, going to court, working with people um, who are dealing with deep trauma issues during COVID when they couldn't get services. I mean, this combination is going to be really exciting season number two. If you have a, let's take a quick break right now and let's come right back to the, to the show, but let's take a a quick break and we'll come right back. Thank you to our donors whose contributions
1: help our clients directly. You can see the sponsors list and the names of donors and members who are publicly recognized on our website at therestorativecommunity.org. All contributions are appreciated. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, volunteer, donate monthly, or leave a legacy gift by clicking on the donate
0: button. Welcome back to the I Change Justice podcast. This is Joy Gilfillan, your host. So, Sinead, talk to us about the, the 16th anniversary, what it means to you and what the, our audience might want to know about what we're doing on, the, on December 28th when we're coming together.
1: Well, you know, 16th anniversary is actually something very personal and powerful for me because I the last time I was arrested was 17 years ago. Wow. So, it, it co- coincides with my freedom, You know what I mean? Um, I'm so excited. Uh, Our celebration is going to be happening on December 28th. We're going to have in person. If you're comfortable coming in person, please come to our office at Bakerview Square in Bellingham, Washington. And that's suite number what, Joy?
0: It's 110. It's the Bellingham. It's the Bakerview Business Suites. Mm -hmm. Bakerview Square Business Suites. It's a co-working facility, and we're back in the corner from people in Whatcom County who know Bakerview Square. It's where the old charter college was, and it's back, Bakerview Square is where IHOP is and the wine bar, and we're back in the corner on the right-hand side. We'll have a sign out, so we'd love to have people join us there, and if not, they can come on Zoom.
1: Right, so we're going to be meeting at 5 p.m. on the 28th in person, and then we'll start a Zoom conference at 6 p.m. and that'll run until 7, 7.30. Uh, We are inviting anyone who is just interested in what we have to say, uh, acknowledgements. We're going to be doing some awards and recognition for some folks. It's just going to be really a great time and celebration of everything good that we've been doing for the last 16 years and also a celebration of our podcast this podcast has been on now for a year. Can yeah. you believe it? I can't yeah. even believe yeah. it's been a year, but we have just keep, you know, gaining more people and more questions and just people from all over the United States have been reaching out to us. And even from other countries, people have come and visit. Um, and that's something that's really exciting. You know, having Ilana come and help us and sh- from Germany and South Africa, like, That was just really cool for me to see being um, not only uh, a worker bee for the RCC, but also, you know, as just a human who needs that support. Uh, I just feel like the more we talk about it, the more people are starting to realize there's something to this. You know, there's something to it. It's it's different than what we've just continued to do over and over in our society in our communities. And why not? Why not try something new? Right. And so I just encourage everyone to show up on Zoom or in person. Just bring yourself. Nothing else matters. Um, I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, it's basically an open house. It's very casual. And we're going to be talking about the milestones and the markers of change that we've gone through over 16 years. Because we started out as a coalition, we were mostly focused on re-entry and directly focused just on helping people who were incarcerated in the system recover and get their lives back, reclaim lives. Over time, what we learned was that the community was involved and the community didn't understand what the jail, the school to prison pipeline or the jail and justice system were or the court system or how the law and justice system is part of a system that might could and should have some corrections done to it so that we get a better return on investment to taxpayers, but even more so we don't cause additional civic trauma because of the way that we operate the system. So we move through a local justice reform now process. We've gone through the process of developing systems and solutions so that we can coach people better. So we have case management um, programs and mentorship programs that we're developing this next year. We have actually many different things that can be done to help people through direct services. Then we've developed an additional uh, body of work, which has to do with civic education and advocacy and working with people who work inside the jail and justice system to make social and civic changes happen. So each one of those, we're going to have a couple timelines up on the wall to show what we've done and how it's worked. And we'll be acknowledging hundreds of people who have worked with us who have been silenced by the system, they couldn't afford to speak out because of the nature of the of the conversation. So we'll be talking about some of those people, awarding some of them acknowledging the parts that they played. As we now in 2023, are moving out of the silence period (laughs) and into a collaborative cooperative place where we're working with other coalitions and other organizations. So can you talk A little bit about Homes Now or some of the um, organizations you imagine interviewing this next year on the I Change Justice podcast?
1: Sure, I'd love to. You and I haven't really touched base too much about this. However, I know that you have a few organizations that you've been working pretty closely with, uh, along with Debbie David as well, including, you know, Houseless People Organizations, Homes Now. That's a good one. Um, I would also like to interview some of my friends who work for different organizations such as Compass Health, uh, Whatcom Detox, Gadget Detox, Pioneer Center North, people who work inside law enforcement. I have friends that are sheriffs, that are firemen, that are attorneys, people who are in the middle, hands-on, in that moment, in crisis, with people, just to get their perspective Because my experience has been working on both sides of the fence here, you know, as a client and as a worker, worker person, you know, caseworker. a lot of those people who who are responding to crisis also know there's there's a disconnect, you know, and and I like to go back to um, the leads program that that Snohomish County has. I don't know a lot of details about it. But I did go to a conference years ago where they were talking about the program and what it was going to look like. I think it's really important for people who are still in crisis to hear people who are working with people in crisis also know that there's a disconnect because there's so much um, uh, defense that happens. You know, I ha- tried to help a friend of mine last Christmas, and there's so much animosity between the person needing help and the person giving help. And it's not because one is doing wrong and one's doing good, right? Or right. One's not right or wrong. It's because the systems that they're both trying to use are not set up in a way that is easy. It's not user-friendly and it's also not client-friendly. And so I really, that's my goal is to make sure that we can actually connect within our disconnection, right? That makes sense.
0: It totally makes sense because what we're talking about is bridges, building bridges across the gaps, across the silos, across the professions, across the industries. In the last few years, specifically in the last three years, we've really seen the impact when the law and justice system is the only system in charge of community uh, safety. And that's happened because of all these emergency crises. We've had like 29 emergency declarations in the last three years across the state of, of Washington. And that skewed how we do the business of justice. It skewed how we could help people in the streets. It's It, it skewed all these different systems. And now we're dealing with bullying. We're dealing with e- extreme homelessness. We're dealing with Uh, trauma on many different levels that we had never experienced. And part of that is because suddenly the public was sort of incarcerated along with our organizations. We had institutions that shut their doors. They weren't even allowed to serve people in person. We had businesses that were shuttered. We had um, all kinds of organizations that were not working normally. So one of the things we're going to work on in 2023 is doing a kind of community survey and a building of bridges between people who have who were impacted by the shutdown. There's businesses shut down, there's farmers who were shut down, there's entire organizations were shut down and the small number of nonprofits that were able to retain and stay in business during that time, a lot of those were fed By federal money and they were uh, incarcerated in their own way they had to hit a certain rules and regulations just in order to open their doors or close their doors so all of this has affected our community and that's part of what we're going to be doing that's why this mentoring program that we're going to do with john with you and with our community is going to be so important so one of the things I know is that he works for a homeless system down in lower um, Washington State, down in the Longview area, Longview-Kelso. Um, we're going to be talking with people from Saint, uh, from Austin, Texas, and from San Antonio, Texas, who are talking with the Compassionate Cities Network. They're working on criminal justice reform, but they're also talking about how to help people deal with compassionate change and how to, because they've been dealing with a lot of the shootings and the violence that's happened at Uvalde um, where the elementary school shootings happened. They've dealt with immigration issues. We're going to be talking with James White up in Canada. He works with the empowering self-advocates to achieve more, the Asada nonprofit and, We'll be working with him and his downtown group where he's for 38 years work in community living programs. You know, we'll be bringing a lot of people in that have walked on all sides of this fence. And I know that you've brought in a person who worked in the prison system as a, a rehabilitation counselor, Jerome Gold. So there's people like this that are scattered all over that don't have a chance to talk. So we're going to be bringing them together to do this. So let's take another break and we'll be right back with Shanae Kelts, who's working with us to develop the Mentor to Mentor program, who's working with us to develop season two of the I Change Justice program, and who's working with us on our anniversary event coming up on December 28th.
1: Thank you to our donors whose contributions help our clients directly. You can see the sponsors list and the names of donors and members who are publicly recognized on our website at therestorativecommunity.org. All contributions are appreciated. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, volunteer, donate monthly, or leave a legacy gift by clicking on the
0: donate button. So welcome back, Shanae. Let's talk briefly about what we're looking at in uh, at the December 28th meeting and what we're going to be doing to bring members and allies and different kinds of uh, financial and physical and and volunteer support to the organization
1: so I'm really excited about this part too because I've been the PTA president at my daughter's school this year I was involved last year with the fundraising aspect, and I've learned a lot about the difference between grants, donations, philanthropic um, dedications. I also work currently for a thrift store that is a five hundred one c three that funds a shelter uh, for cats, and so I've learned about that as well and. You know, I used to work for a nonprofit in Bellingham. We had a person who was in charge of writing grants. And the problem with the grant aspect for the RCC is that, number one, this is a a new thing. There are no grants that fit what we need to use them for. I don't know if you know, but when you apply for a grant, if you get approved, they give you this outline of what you're supposed to use the money for, which is fine. It's great. However, restorative justice and all the things that go along with that are not always included in those grants. So having donors and people who are going to make a, maybe an annual commitment for a certain period of time, um, those are the things that are going to make our, uh, our programming thrive. Those are the things that are going to start to change the outcome of um, when someone goes to get help. I know f- many people who are, taxpaying citizens who are tired of paying taxes for people to go, um, in and out of treatment, in and out of jail, in and out of mental health, um, with nothing happening in the end. So if you're one of those people who realizes our system is broken and you happen to know that you, I mean, one in four people have been affected by incarceration. I mean, you gotta know somebody, right? It's either a family <laughs> member or a friend. Um, Instead of donating money to, you know, some other country, I mean, that's cool too, but we have the ability to change the outcome of our generations for the next hundred years and more by implementing this programming. And so I invite you to just come and listen, read through our annual reports, read through our case notes with the clients we have helped. In fact, there will be a client with me. I'm hoping she's trying to get permission to come. She'll be with me. She's my current client. Um, she will be there to ask answer some questions if you want. And uh, I am just, this is a great platform for, for people all over our nation to hear. Uh, there are other programs that are restorative justice um, like, and they're just taking off like wildfire in, in other communities. So you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's an investment. Let's just say that those of you who are good with finance, if you could put a line of a hundred formerly incarcerated people on a graph, like the stock market, and then you invest a certain amount of money in each one of those people and the people that are going to go through the restore life center that are going to come to the RCC Number one, they're going to cost less money and the outcome is going to be greater because of the mentorship programming, because of the longevity of our services. This is not a spin dry 21 day, 90 day program. This is a longevity program that that will be with our clients until they're until they decide that they're recovered and they're done. But my clients that I've helped in the last even just the last couple of years whether it was through the RCC or, you know, around the RCC, we're friends. Like my client calls me her best friend. She tells me things she's never told people before and it gives her freedom. It's not about being in jail. You could be in jail anywhere in your mind. But when you have love and support and, you know, answers at your fingertips from people who've already been there or people asking you the right questions at the right time, It just makes a huge difference. So your investment has not only tripled, but then quadrupled and just keeps on going and giving because then what they're going to do is now my client, she never had a job before. Now she has a full-time job. And what is she doing? She's helping people who are in the street, homeless, using drugs, been in and out of jail. She's now helping those same people that she used to be. And that is what investing should be about. It should be about what is the longevity of my investment and how is it going to affect the community a hundred years from now?
0: So, and it's really about building coalitions and little tripods and little groups. Yes. Because because the thing that happened after COVID, after the pandemic, is that entire family systems, community systems, network systems, they were all, all fractured and people are not in the habit of teaming up in the same way. So when I was working with one of the gentlemen who's now working with us to build a sustainability network, he started talking about how the farmers were hurt in the community, how the business people were were hurt in the community. And because he was homeless, he went on a walkabout and he started looking at how do we rebuild community networks? I mean, a lot of our small cities are hurt because they have problems. They have homeless problems in their small cities. They can't take care of them. So the people migrate to the bigger city of Bellingham that creates pressure inside Bellingham. Well, what if we could build teams of people that work with four H clubs that work with Grange halls that work with um, sustainability organizations that work with healing arts organizations that work with um, homeless organizations that work with Uh, the immigrant populations. We're building a coalition. We're called the Restorative Community Coalition on Purpose. In the past, our coalition has consisted of a lot of people who were afraid to even talk about being part of the incarceration um, or traumatized movement. But since COVID, since the pandemic, we now realize that communities can't grow in, in isolation. We actually must for the future, we're coming into a period of time where we're going to have severe economic trauma. I mean, that's been predicted as we're going into a, a depression like period or, or recession, deep recession. We're going into a time where food is being impacted because of the weather problems that we've had and the disasters. We have sustainability problems because food supply chains, delivery systems, entire business networks and systems have been broken or fractured by the last three years of shutdowns. So we as communities, it's like emotional preparedness or emotional first aid or sustainability first aid. And how do we actually prepare the community to help heal ourselves in tandem with each other? Because the law and justice system, the emergency first responders those people cannot solve all the problems that we got in the community. We actually have to team up and rebuild almost like the old Grange Halls and the old 4-H clubs at the past did. So learning how to collaborate, how to cooperate, how to team up, that's part of the programs that are coming. So in the next year and announced in January, we'll be announcing our 2023 program of community support there will be a Civic Conversations monthly meeting for the public to join us and to talk with civic leaders and interfaith ministers and people who are working in the business community or in the healing arts community. And in that conversation, we're going to talk about diversity. We're going to talk about inclusion. We're going to talk about people from the mental health community or people from the uh, disabilities world talk about how to empower people locally in your neighborhood, how to help them help each other so that we can all be stronger for it. So that's part of our monthly calls. And then you'll be hosting a monthly uh, call with John that is the mentoring to uh, mentors to work with um, um, trauma, mental health, trauma, prison, trauma, recovery, trauma, all the things that are necessary for people to reclaim their lives, put their families back together, rebuild community networks. I know that you've been working with people in the in the uh, recovery platform for a long time and speak for just a minute about how important it is to have cross-pollination with people in different groups. Like why does that matter? I mean, you've been in commercial business, sort of like isolated. You've been in nonprofits outside of isolated, but now everybody's isolated. <laughs> so how do you help yeah. that? Why does that matter? It's funny you say
1: that because so many times I've had, you know, the, the store I work at, all my employees are volunteers and they're over 65 okay. and they've heard lots of different things from me. Um, My, my knowledge base is so vast in those different buckets of types of people or professions. Mm -hmm. It's important because for me, it's important because each one gives me a different perspective and therefore gives me alternative choices when I'm making a decision or when I'm, you know, In a relationship with someone, whether it's a friendship or a client relationship, um, it's knowledge, right? The knowledge that comes from each one of those is different and one's not better than the other. And I feel like if we can all realize that we have so much to share outside of what our ego tells us, right? Our ego sometimes can get in the way of us sharing knowledge and information, if we can step outside of that and treat each other with love and compassion and care and get excited to learn new things. I mean, I just like to learn things. And that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why I've had so many different types of professions. And, um, it's just, I thrive in that. I want to know, you know, why you do X, Y, and Z and what motivates you to do that, you know, because I was a child, um, you know, I have childhood trauma. And that can really, any kind of trauma can make you just stop dead in your tracks. It Mm -hmm. blocks you from getting any new information. Um, And so it's important that we utilize all the different varieties of knowledge um, so that we can become more, well, so that I can become. More whole, I guess. Um, more, I have a more diverse way of thinking. So that means that I can relate in different circumstances and situations. Um, some people walk into a room and they freeze up and they don't know how to talk to people or or whatnot. And I can walk in a room and within you know ten minutes, I already have two people's phone numbers because they're like, Oh, I need to talk to you about that, you know? Um, Or I need to talk to them about that, you know? And I think that that goes back. I can remember, you know, in small towns a long time ago, they always had community meetings. I mean, like you said, the Granges and things like that, people were more community organized than we are now. And I think a lot of that has had to do with the way our federal government has chosen to run our country so that we don't really know what's going on, you know, Um, and, and it's unfortunate. And so I feel like if we can take all this frustration and realize that we have the power as the people, we are the people. We the people. Right. And we collaborate and we come together instead of tearing each other apart. How powerful can that be? I mean, it's endless.
0: Absolutely. Amazingly accurate, because it's through the power of people working together that we can actually talk about the problems that we're facing in the community right now. We can talk about economic development as a local problem, not as something that the feds have to send us $100 million to build up our economy. In fact, because guess what? Us people pay for that money that's coming in here. All the federal money that comes in, all the state money that comes in, all these grants that are given up, guess who pays for it in the end anyway? It's the people. So the people are the are the ones who need to be looking at what are the solutions we want? What is the best return on investment for our money? How can we team up to mitigate the traumas that we're dealing with in the community and how can we help each other help each other help our neighbor cope under distress, trauma and economic downturns? How do we actually work together in collaboration to build relationships to help our community get stronger. That's really going to be our, our focus in 2023. And coming together on the 28th of December will just be a summary of what we've learned from the past 16 years of being the Restorative Community Coalition. We will be announcing on at the end of that Zoom call what our programs are looking like in 2026. There's going to be a mentoring program. There's going to be a community conversations program. And then I'm also going to do do a civic education program. It'll work like a 12-week uh, deep dive into what did we discover over the last 16 years and specifically in the last three years about civic trauma, civic collisions, the conflicts that we're dealing with in the mass incarceration industry that are affecting us locally in our local economy? And what can we do about it? And what are the questions that we need to ask for us to solve problems of the future for the next generation? Because we've got intergenerational traumas, we've got technology gaps, we've got silos, we've got all kinds of systems problems that we need to integrate. So I just want to say that we're close to the end of the call. Sinead, do you have any last minute conversation or words that you want to say before we close the call?
1: Sure, Joy. I just want to say, come next Wednesday night, 5 to 7.30. Come out, celebrate with us, jump on the bandwagon, now or never. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's so good. It's obvious you're working in uh, in school PTA conversations, and I'm just inviting anybody who has a curiosity about what in the world have we been doing over the past three three years? As we've all been pretty much silenced uh, by the civic systems and by the fear mongering that's been going on and the trauma that we've we've sustained. What are we going to do in 2023? How can we? help each other get a better return on the efforts that people are putting forward? And how can we back up on our, our emergency systems? How can we back up our law and justice system? How can we back, back up those people who were working in these in these mental health and, and recovery programs? Because we all are dealing with large amounts of disruption in our families. So thank you very much for coming on the call, Sinead. And I look forward to participating with you in season two of the I Change Justice podcast.
1: Thank you, Joy. Thank you, listeners. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more and connect at info at the Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.